Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Coffee House Questions. You're listening to Ryan Polly. It is a beautiful day here in Southern California, and I think the day's even a little bit better because uh, last night I turned in my final paper of the semester for my master's in apologetics from Biola University. So I have a little break from classes and uh, went out and played golf today and shot one of the best rounds of golf that I've ever shot, and so it is a good day. And Anyways, I'm looking forward to this summer. I get a little bit of a break from teaching and from taking classes, and I will actually be working at Summit Ministries. Summit Ministries is a student um, apologetics theology worldview summer camp for high schoolers, and they have a location at Biola University. It'll be two weeks long. I believe there are still openings, as well as there are openings for the uh, seventh session in the Colorado location. So uh, you can go to summit.org, get more information on that, and it is an incredible opportunity for students to experience uh, just a fun summer, having a great time with other uh, students, as well as they will be listening to lectures from some of the the best um, apologists and Christian speakers and thinkers, and so it is a great opportunity. So I have the privilege of uh, being one of the high school um, counselors and being with a group of students, so that's what I'll be doing uh, this summer. But um, today I want to talk with you a little bit uh, for short time on um, how I taught the resurrection to my students. On Monday, I posted a blog titled uh, The Case for the Resurrection, um, How Do Students Respond? And I gave some quotes from some of my students on how they reacted uh, to my lesson on apologetics. And I first I want to say that I think that this is something that students can understand. It's something that they get, and it's actually something that they want. Um, and one of the C.S. Lewis quotes that I put in the blog article, it pretty much said, you, you know, he said, you are not children, why should you be treated like children? Why should we just keep giving students practical religion um, rather than teaching them theology? And I think a lot of times we think about that in church and we think, oh, high school students, you know, just give them practical religion, tell them how to be nice to each other, tell them how to not to have sex and don't do drugs and don't drink. And as long as they graduate high school without getting in big trouble, then, hey, we've succeeded. Um, but we see this tendency of high schoolers to leave the church after they graduate when they get into college. And I think one reason why, one aspect of the issue is that uh, these students really don't understand what they believe and why they believe it. They're not taught theology. Uh, they're just given plain practical religion. And so rather than treating high school kids like children, uh, treat them like adults and give them something that they can really handle. And so some of the quotes from students that I put up um, uh, from my class was kind of, you know, they said, one student said, I would say it's a lot better than how it's normally explained. It isn't just like a Sunday school answer anymore. Now it's actually looking at history. I would say now I believe it more because I actually know the evidence and it's not going off blind faith. Another non-Christian student said, based on the evidence, it's hard to say the resurrection didn't happen. And so, you know, other students said, this lecture on the resurrection really opened my eyes to why the Christian belief of Jesus rising from the grave is a true event. And so I want to share just kind of how I did this with you. Um, I didn't uh, just stand up in front of the class and said, hey, the Bible says uh, Jesus rose from the dead, uh, and so we believe it. And instead, um, I helped them kind of discover it for themselves. 
And so the first day, we actually, I broke them up into groups, and they spent in a class period um, brainstorming natural explanations or possible explanations to what could have happened to the body of Jesus. So everywhere from, hey, he could have been resurrected, to maybe Jesus didn't even exist, to a lot of the common theories that you hear, like the disciples stole the body, the religious leaders moved the body, they went to the wrong tomb, uh, the tomb was unknown, uh, Jesus had a twin brother, it was a spiritual resurrection. Um, and the students really, <laughs> I think, enjoyed trying to come up with something. And so I wasn't just giving them kind of a, a false dichotomy, you know, here's the two options, pick one, uh, leaving out option three. They really brainstormed and, and thought of as many options as they possibly could, and I wrote all of them on the board. And so here we had a long list of natural explanations, or just explanations in general, of what could have happened uh, to Jesus. And so after we did that, the next day, then we went over uh, the evidence for the resurrection. And I broke it down into four main categories. One, that Jesus was killed and he was buried. Uh, two, that the tomb was found empty. Three, that the disciples believed to have experienced the risen Jesus. And then four, uh, the lives of the disciples were changed, including Paul and James, the brother of Jesus. And so just those four pieces of evidence, and so we spent some time looking at, at uh, why those are historical pieces of evidence and, and some of the reasoning behind that. And so that's what we did kind of on that second day. And then the last day, we took the two pieces and we put them together. Now, I didn't tell the students what conclusion they had to come to. Um, and I think that's important with students rather than, you know, a lot of times they think that they're always told what to do, whereas finding ways to help them discover uh, what is true. And so on the last day that we were going over the resurrection, uh, we had our two lists. We had our historical evidences on one side of the board, and we had all of our possible explanations on the other side of the board. And I just asked the students to go through and cross out the ones that did not match the historical evidence. So obviously, you know, the one Jesus never existed. Well, if Jesus died uh, by crucifixion, then he had to exist. So that one got eliminated. And we just went through, the tomb was found empty. Okay, obviously then, uh, it wasn't an unknown tomb. They knew where the tomb was. They also didn't go to the wrong tomb. Uh, what about the, you know, the stealing of the body? And we went through each one of these, you know, points that I will be going through uh, in the blog series on the resurrection. And the students themselves discovered that the resurrection theory was the only one that matched all of the evidence that every other one had some sort of an issue with the resurrection. You know, if the tomb was empty, how do you explain the appearances? If the appearances were hallucinations, then how do you explain the empty tomb? And you have these issues. If Jesus had a twin brother that showed up on the scene, then where would Jesus' body have been? And so one question students had is, okay, well, why can't you combine theories? And why can't you say, well, there's a hallucination theory, but then there's also the stolen body theory, and kind of add these theories up. And very simply is that the more theories that you have to add together to make the story reasonable, the less likely it is. And a good example of this is saying, hey, if I flip a coin, uh, the possibility of me getting heads is 50-50. Now, if I have two coins and I have to get heads on both, 
Now my probability goes down of flipping heads with two coins. Now I add three coins together, there's even a less of a probability that that's going to happen. And the same way is true for uh, the explanations for the resurrection. If there's only one theory that explains all the evidence, the probability of that being true is higher than having to add two or three or four theories together. The more theories you have, the lower the possibility because each one of those theories then has to be true. Anyways, I don't want to go into that a whole lot, but I mainly just want to kind of give a picture of how I taught this to my students, that I, I let them brainstorm possible explanations, I showed them the historical evidence, and then I let them eliminate the possible explanations based on the historical evidence, which ones didn't make sense, and they are the ones that came to the conclusion that the resurrection was the best explanation. And I think because of that, they were much more likely to accept it because it wasn't me telling them what they had to believe, but it was them kind of realizing it for themselves. And so um, maybe that will help you in your classroom or um, at your church or whatever it is that you do. But um, I, I just thought that was a good way to do it. And so I just want to share that with you guys today. And so, um, thank you so much for listening. On Monday, uh, I will piece, post the first piece of evidence, uh, the historical evidence for the resurrection. So you can be looking forward to that on Monday. Also, I would love to get some of your questions that I can respond to on this podcast. So if you have questions, you can tweet me at RyanPauly3, and I will get a response to those here on this podcast. And so, thank you so much for listening. This has been Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauly. Until I find my rest, restore my life.